This is the Ridge Hunter Outdoors podcast. Hey everybody, this is episode 22. I'm Kenyon Clark here with Nate Burgess and Scott Clark. Sorry we're a day late. Uh, I think like I told you last week, we're, our schedules are kind of running all over the place right now. At least for the next month, month and a half, it's going to be a little bit off schedule a little bit so we may not be every friday but we'll have this out for you friday or saturday maybe just me maybe just two of us but we got three of us here tonight jeff hasn't been here in a month of sundays he's but, been canceled <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> pretty much yeah but he'll get back on eventually i'd like to get him back on and talk some more about coyote hunting too and if we could get dusty on at the same time he come on and we could get him because he's done the last i knew he had killed a lot of dogs this year. I don't want to put an exact number on it, but he's killed a bunch. Um, him and his group, I guess. But uh, anyway, so that's what we got going on tonight. We're going to talk about um, like perspective properties, I guess would be a good phrase for it. We gave you the scenario like you're looking to buy a piece of ground. You've got different options. Of course, all the websites and the realtors and all everything you can go through. So you're looking at ground to buy what are you looking for? And we'll kind of talk about that. And I think on the end, uh, I touched on a little bit last week, but we'll talk a little bit more about clover maintenance, uh, uh, food plot, basically food plot maintenance or, or cover maintenance for this time of year, uh, since we got three of us here tonight. So we can talk a little bit more in depth about it. I know Nate, you did some stuff today, I think. Uh, no, I'm going to do it tomorrow. <laughs> okay. Well, you I, get. I talked to you about it today, but that's as far as it went today. Okay. Well, yeah, this not... weekend, either yes. way. Yeah. I did not leave work soon enough. <laughs> uh, well, it happens. I got some done the other day I told you about, but uh, we'll talk about that too. So uh, I actually got the idea. I was thumbing through the, the spring edition of the magazine, North American Whitetail. And there's an article in there about uh, T Bone, uh, Travis Turner. If you guys don't know, he's on uh, Bone Collector. He runs with. Waddy and uh, Nick Munt on Bone Collector. He's been doing that for, gosh, years. I think they were. he was on Realty Road Trips before that as well. Uh, I don't know his whole background before all that. But anyway, there's a good article on him and his property in Georgia. Um, and I thought it was kind of appropriate. We may talk about that article. We might still eventually at some point um, because everything that's going on with him. And if you guys don't know, you can go find him on social media. He's having some troubles with some cancer stuff uh, right now. Uh, he seems to be in pretty high spirits. Um, so keep in your, him in your prayers for sure. Um, I know a lot of us guys like mine, your age grew up with him on the outdoor channel oh, yeah. with Waddy and Munt and yeah. all them. So anyway, he seems to be a really good dude. I've never heard anybody say a bad word about him, but anyway, so I thought we might talk about that cause it was a pretty cool article on kind of his journey to his piece of property in Georgia that he's got started out on like 27 acres and then he's, uh, bought more ground around it since that time and i don't know that's i think it said like 20 years ago he started out on this piece of property and he just killed some really nice deer off of it this last year and it kind of talks about his management process the way he does but in the initial part of the article that i was thumbing through one of the things i caught was he bought that 27 acres knowing he couldn't really afford it but he just told himself somehow some way i'm gonna make it work because i gotta have something um so he bought this 27 acre piece because it was surrounded by good habitat. So he knew he couldn't afford, definitely couldn't afford 50, 100, 150 acres. He found the best 
location for the 27 that he had or that he could get. And then that was kind of at least part of what went into his process of deciding to buy that particular piece. So I thought with that, be, you know, maybe a good time to talk about what we'd look for. Because I think, you know, this time of year's, I'd say the realtors are probably fairly busy. Season just got over, new properties coming up for sale. It's a good time to get out and see everything. You see the lay of the land. Um, and my experience is a pretty busy time of year for guys looking for new property. So if you guys are out there looking for that, maybe this is some stuff you guys would look for. Uh, if you got something else that you look for, uh, let us know. We talk about it too at some other time. But we'll I'll start with Nate. Um, and you can base this kind of on whatever you want, but like whatever you like about the piece you're hunting now, um, anything from experiences you've had hunting other pieces, just if you were going out and looking for a piece of property, I don't want to put too many parameters on it, like 50 to 200 acres, somewhere in there. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but if you, like maybe that's your range, um, what are you looking for? Well, what are some big things to you that you'd be looking for that's got to hit check these boxes for me to even consider buying that piece? Uh I think access, um, how I'm going to be able to get into it, uh, more points of access, the better. Um, and then, uh, uh, and sneaky, sneaky access, you know, right. not just riding my four wheeler, not just a nice culvert where I can ride my four wheeler in, you <laughs> yeah. know, um, yeah. uh, is there a Creek that crosses a road, you know, where I can get in that Creek and get somewhere in that Creek, mm-hmm. um, or a real heavy, uh, real heavy edge or something, you know, something that'll get me in there where I need to be. Uh, but, uh access and the uh the geographical layout layout topographical layout mm-hmm. uh, the structure how it how it lays and rolls um uh if i was buying something that looked like the bottom of a skillet all the way across that would not be <laughs> ideal, not ideal yeah you know I'd, yeah. I'd want to see some hills and hollers um uh, preferably a creek um uh, and all my experiences with small creeks i'm going to say uh Oh, six foot deep, you know, from mm-hmm. the bank to the bottom, mm-hmm. uh, 15, 20 foot across, you know, at the wide spots. Um, I mean, pretty little, uh, but something you can still get in and sneak, but they can cross it uh, big enough where they're going to want to cross it at the easy spot. In a certain place. Where they yeah. can't just jump across the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's the main creeks that we've got. Um, there's normally pools of water. Uh, if it's rain, there's running water, mm-hmm. but it ain't going to flood you out. Um, I've hunted a little bit on, uh, the big Creek here, you know, yep. up there at home, mm-hmm. man, that was a pain. You, <laughs> you were stuck <laughs> yeah. on one side of it and that's it. Yep. Pretty uh, much. But yeah, I, I want to see good access where I can get in there sneaky. Um, and then the, the, the layout, the structural layout of it, um, not necessarily what it is right now, but what it could be mm-hmm. if I wanted to change it, you know, um, uh, what I because because the terrain had limit that right you know uh, yeah. but anyway if I if I don't think I can sneak in somewhere oh man you know you're gonna put so much pressure on them so fast you know walking across the wide open field to get there I just uh, mm-hmm. it just eats me up when I when I <laughs> think about doing that you know yep yep so what um like if you're looking at a percentage of timber uh. And it doesn't, you know, like maybe you want it to be all timber because you can go and pretty much do whatever you want at that point. Obviously, it takes a lot more work. Uh, you got to get in there with a dozer or something, chainsaw on, do a lot more manual work, and a lot more cost goes into that. But, like, ideally, what are you, what would be your preference on that as far as timber goes versus field? I'm used to very little timber. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, everything that I've hunted. Uh, we, we just got little patches and brushy ditches, creeks, you know, um, so I'm used to that. If it didn't have much timber, I wouldn't be too afraid, uh, but we got a lot of CRP around the timber. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I got about back there where I mess around all the time. I got about 100 acres, probably 15 to 20 acres is brush. Mm-hmm. Everything else is CRP, rolling hills. Um, I've got two really good points of access that can get me just about anywhere I want to be, um, depending on wind, of course. I mean, you, uh, uh, if the wind's out of the south or the west, I got to go, you know, from that limits me. I can only go one way. Right. Uh, if it's out of the north and east, I, I got to go the other way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, not much timber would not scare me. Right. Um, because I'm used to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, it. Yeah, I like hunting over them weed fields. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see it keeps you entertained. You can see them out there walking yeah. around, you know, yeah. and they'll lay out there. They will. Uh, but of course, if you got a nice big oak woods, that's a lot of food right there. That you ain't got to mm-hmm. do a thing. You ain't got to produce it yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, they're growing it for you. Uh, but if it's got open stuff, you can put the food plots in there easier. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Um, I, I suppose half and half would be a real good, uh, that'd be ideal, wouldn't it? Well, you yeah, know? I mean, probably depending on how it laid out. Yeah. And I think a lot of guys get too wrapped up in wanting, you know, like all timber or, yeah. Um, you know, I've done some, I kind of put some feelers out for a few guys on leasing some ground. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest questions you get, well, how, what, how much timber's on it? How much timber's on it? Well, I think you'll probably hit on this a little bit, which there's one real benefit I see to having a lot of timber on the property um, that may go into it. And if you don't hit on it, I'll talk about it later, but I'll let you get have a chance at it first. Um, but I think there is a, definitely a balance that can be found there. And I don't know if, if it's half and half. I would, I actually probably would prefer a less than 50% timber. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't need just, it. It's easier to hunt. Yeah. You know, you don't need a bunch to right. hold, hold and, and keep deer. And it's easier to create edge in a CRP field mm-hmm. or an old fallow ag field, mm-hmm. uh, than it is in timber. Because if you're going to create edge and timber, you got to knock down trees. Yeah. But so that's kind of my thoughts on it. I think mm-hmm. a lot of guys get wrapped up in wanting a whole bunch of timber, which isn't always the best thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, you don't you don't have to own the timber if there's timber around you. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> you have to have ins and outs. That's my situation exactly. I got yeah. big woods laying next to me. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, you you got open fields. You're entertained. You're going to see deer, and I don't care if the deer is a hundred yards away. That's going to keep you more still it's mm-hmm. going to keep your attention you're going to have a better hunt even if you're seeing something 100 yards away than if you're sitting in the middle of big timber not seeing anything yeah, yeah. and more likely to stay longer and you're going to stay longer because yep. you've seen a deer i mean we're I've, we've all been there yeah. right yeah. And, and you know you can see when you're where you came in and out of whereas if you walk into the big middle of the timber and you haven't seen anything all morning and it's like nine o'clock man i'm bored and this i'm going i'm cold i'm going to the truck you take you get down out of the tree, you walk 50 yards, what happens? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you see white tails blowing out. If you can see, you know, you can see, okay, I haven't really seen anything, and I'm looking back where I'm walking to the truck, and I don't see anything out there yeah. that's going to bust me. So I can slip in and out. It's a little bit easier slipping in and out of there, too. Yep. So, but uh, anything else that you can think of right now off the top of your head? You got um, access was the first thing you mentioned terrain which i think are two really good ones obviously um and access being like not necessarily just a big road right down the middle of it yeah um but a creek of some sort would be good yeah. or some kind of creek system yeah um 
how do I think I'm going to be able to sneak in there? Yeah. Uh, get to, get to some decent places without mm-hmm. them knowing. Yep. And then uh, you said the terrain, obviously. And then we talked about the timber. What about you? What are your the first things you're looking at? Even if it's the same thing. We can well, you know, I've that. got a couple pieces, one on one side of the county and one on the other. And they're not big, but for me, it's proximity. Um, how much time do you have to get to where you want to go so you can spend time where you're, where you're going? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can look at property down in Kentucky and I can buy 100 acres for $80,000. Okay, it's $800 an acre, but I'm not going to drive six hours to get there. Right. You, you can't know, do that with two you times get, a month all year yeah. to get that property to where I want to have it. If yeah. I'm going to seriously hunt that piece of property, you're not going to get off work early on a Tuesday on a really good day of weather and drive six hours to hunt. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, if you have eighty thousand dollars to spend here where we're at, that's not going to buy you a hundred acres. You know, yeah. it, it might buy you twenty. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, proximity. So, is that twenty acres close? For that same eighty thousand, a better buy, and 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 you're going to get more out of that twenty than you would that hundred six hours away. Mm-hmm. Let's just say um, something to think about. Uh, you know, how much time are you going to spend? How much time do you want to spend? And are you going to be able to spend it? Not just money, but time, because that's what it's going to take mm-hmm. to get your property where you want it, mm-hmm. or at least. You know, over the years, you're going to build on something and build on something and build on something as opposed to having something you're never going to step foot on. Right. So uh, what about, uh, so the proximity close is obviously a big thing. What about like the property itself as far as timber, um, fields, the access? I mean, what would be your ideal if you could find that 20 acres that's 20 minutes from the house? Um, it's surrounding area because like what you said the one side of the county it's got a really good it's got a lot of really good surrounding area that makes it a really good little piece that the deer use well actually both of them do but they're different yeah the one in the east it's got farm ground on all all uh four sides of it mm-hmm. three three and a half and once again it's got a little creek going through it that runs into a bigger creek so you have the best of both worlds you have some pasture ground there the guys happen to be running horses on it now but there's some pasture there and so you have that and then the other piece you don't have any farm ground around it but you have bigger timber mm-hmm. on on the borders two sides of it and some pasture on one side of it so uh, yeah both of them work mm-hmm. um, both of them work I, I don't think you could obviously we're not hunting the east patch uh mm-hmm. you're doing most of your work on the west side but you i don't think you would do both of them the same right i don't think you could because you might need more food early on the west you don't need more food early on the east because right. that piece of property has got cropland on, on on three sides of it, three and a half three three and a half sides of it so mm-hmm. yeah uh either one of them is going to work right. you're going to have to decide what works for that piece of property but uh, neither one of them have a lot of big timber on it. They all have a, both of them have a little bit of big timber, just mm-hmm. a few acres. Now we're not talking about 10 acre patches here. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe two or three acres of, of decent timber and, and a Creek mm-hmm. or a ditch on one case is a ditch and one case is a Creek. And the rest of it's, uh, pretty much brushy up there where you're at, at the cabin. And it's, it's pasture ground up there. Mm-hmm. 
nice deer on all of it. Uh, you don't have to have 40 acres or 80 acres or 140 mm-hmm. uh, if if you use what you got around it. So, And they're in proximity to where you yeah. can get off on a Tuesday afternoon yeah. and go do something. Exactly. So what about uh, – are you looking for uh, – like if you had two separate options, you've got one piece of property that has all been CRP, uh, hasn't been planted for years, or even one that had been planted in the last few years, but it's just all field, basically. You've got a couple edges on it of just a really little bit of timber, or maybe a fencer or two. Or you've got one that's all timber, so like two 20-acre, we'll call them 20-acre pieces. Be like Fry, like his piece versus... Say it was all like the north end of his, south end of his piece, versus all like the north side of his piece. So like the north seventeen, versus if it was all like the south. I, I think you got to look if you're if you're talking about small patches like ten, twenty, thirty acres. Look what's around it. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna you're gonna own a piece of this. Well, let's just block it off into a, a half a section. You're gonna own a piece of this four hundred but you have a small piece. What's around that? Is that going to help you or hurt you? Mm-hmm. So if you have option A and then you have option B, which is the same 10 or 20 acres in the middle of a half a section, but this whole section is different. This is all creek bottoms, wood bottoms, or whatever, and this half a section is all farm ground. What is your piece in the middle of that look like? Yeah. And is that more enti- is one more enticing than the other? So just to say you got 20 acres, okay, what's around it? What's going to be around it? Um, uh, it, it? Are you close enough to town that in 10 years when you've got those pines you're planting for a windbreak, uh, now all of a sudden we're going to have a, a subdivision on the other side right. of it? I mean, yeah. you know, let's look at all of it. Mm-hmm. Or are we down here in the river bottoms where it floods out and ain't nobody building nothing? Right. You know, what do you want and yep. what's around it? So what I was uh, thinking you might hit on with the timber is if uh, if you do have a lot of it, and really in my opinion, I'm looking, I would look for, and then depending on what you can do, my personal situation where you have the equipment to do the stuff we need to, or at least access to it, <clears throat> I want one or the other of those, like one extreme or the other. I want something that's just barren ground of nothing, maybe not even CRP, just grasses or one that's just all grown up mature timber because either one of those, I can take them and make them exactly what I want them. I would probably prefer the timber though for these two reasons. Number one, it's hard and depending on what's around it, of course. So if there's a lot of big timber around the open field, this kind of gets rid of that point. But let's say it's pretty much all, it's relatively all open around the open field and it's relatively all timber around the big timber. So if I take this middle 30 acres of this timber patch or this middle 30 acres of this field. I would probably lean towards the timber for the two reasons I was going to say. One is it's really hard to grow 80 acre trees in two years or 80 year old trees in two years. So if you got this patch of timber that has 80 year old trees on it, then you can leave however many of you want to. And then you have that part of timber already on your property. You can get rid of whatever else you want. The other thing is with those trees you don't want, you can make some money on them and recuperate your cost of whatever you're doing with them. If you've got marketable timber on it, that's a really good way to see a pretty quick turnaround, at least a little bit of return on your investment right off the bat. Um, And whether that's capital you just put back into the property or it's money you put back in your pocket to replace the down payment, something like that. That's where I think 
uh, a lot of timber could be beneficial because you can get that. But like I was saying, either one or the other, uh, in my opinion, they're not going to be as valued because guys that are looking at them for hunting properties are going to think, man, what am I going to do with that? I either got to sit right in the middle of this big timber patch or I got nothing over here in this open field. So the value is not going to be as high. Maybe the open field is valued more if it's in an ag area because guys can farm it. Maybe the timber patch is valued more because it's got better timber on it. But either way, they're probably not going to be as pricey as a property that's like turnkey, go out and hunt it. You know, it's got the layouts for the food plots and everything good already. You got a good mix of diversity in your cover and all the habitat and all that. It's kind of like a blank slate, in my opinion. So as I can. As you find that piece that's been select cutted in yeah, the right. middle of an ag field. <laughs> there you go. Right. It's it doesn't have any value to the farmer. It doesn't have yep. any value yep. to the timber cutter. Yeah. To the timber guy, the sawmill. Yep. It's just. Yep. But even those values have risen. Gosh, Nate. Yeah. Oh, man. Nate. I mean, but it's all shit. relative because they're still cheaper than the other ground. Yeah. So that that's probably the that's the first thing I'm looking for. But then things that you because it's a blank slate and you can do what you want with it. The things you can't really do are create access. So the, I think that probably the second biggest thing I'm looking at, can I get to it? Can I get to every side of it I need to get to? Now, maybe there's, you know, a side and a half that I can never get to. There's no good way to get it. That's fine. I can do what that with what I need to, but I can still get to the other two and a half sides of it. So that's not that big of an issue. If it has everything else I'm wanting, you know. Um, and I think uh, proximity not only to where you're at, but uh, if you listen to a lot of the guys that go around and do the same stuff we do, um, or guys that hunt all over the country, they will tell you there's a certain geographical radius, we'll call it, where you can go by ground and there will be a number of 200-inch deer in that area. In Illinois, Indiana, Missouri, Kentucky, Wisconsin, Kansas, Iowa. where we're at. Kansas, right. where we're at. Don't leave us out. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you can go and find... <laughs> You can find those areas in any one of those states. So if you can be, you know, in close proximity to those areas, and maybe not necessarily in the middle of it because that ground's going to be more expensive. But if you're in the right area, I think where you've got, you know, I think we're, I think we're getting there. Yeah. Oh, I was just thinking that, man. Yeah. A certain, a certain. Uh, I don't know if that's good or bad. If it's, you got a something. Yeah. Yeah. It could be both, right? Yeah. yeah. If there's a certain reputation for, you know, the, the quality of deer that are already in that area, I think that's really going to be a benefit, too. So if you can find a low-valued property in an area like that, and you have either— With the Internet today? Yeah. You're not gonna, that's not going to happen. Well, I can't tell you how many guys that come in the shop every year, and I'm going to say more than six or less than 12 on average every year come in— and it's and and when I say out of state, I mean anywhere f- from all across the country north of I eighty, because mm-hmm. I consider north of I eighty pretty much out of Illinois. Yeah, right. Not that those guys are bad guys, but it's a different world up there. Mm-hmm. So, um, out of staters, hey, I'm I'm looking to buy some. I'm going to retire in a couple of years. I want to buy some ground. Mm-hmm. I'm looking to buy hunting ground. I want to lease some ground. I want to do this. I want to do that, and from a different world where they're making way, way up in the six figures. So they don't mind paying the $4,000 an acre for cut over timber that you and I are going, you know, that's worth about 300. Yeah. And, and they're, they're paying 4,000 for it. So Mm -hmm. 
But those guy, most of those guys, I think, are looking for, and not all of them, because I know some of the guys you're talking about, are looking for a spot that looks like what they have in their head. And that's <clears throat> a lot of guys we work for have that same image. It's, it's an image that they're looking for, but they'll settle for close to that. Yeah. And then they'll pay somebody to get it to where they want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they're making those yeah. Yeah. big yeah. dollars. Dollars we don't see mm-hmm. here where we're at in Kansas. Yeah, so no, yeah, it definitely makes it tougher to find. But I think if you can find that balance of a property that's undervalued because of for whatever reason, like we talked about, in a decent area, and it doesn't have to be in the area where there's 200 steer, because mm-hmm. pretty much all of the ground in that area is going to be expensive. Uh, and like you said, with the internet, there's there was a time, I'm assuming, where property was valued uh, either on timber value or farm value mm-hmm. nowadays with all the internet and all the growing popularity of hunting for big deer which is a great thing there's a third one in there that property value is also for deer hunting mm-hmm. and that's and, where I'm, that's yeah that's what i'm talking about just yeah. The, yeah right so with the internet you know that's that's going to drive that price too so but anyway that's a third thing that i think we have nowadays that probably didn't exist at one time yeah the internet I'm sure it didn't. and the the uh the availability of money that people have to spend mm-hmm. on their mm-hmm. hobbies. Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you think, uh, we talked about several podcasts ago now, guys, more guys are letting deer grow longer. So instead of uh, uh, the 160s and the 170s that were big, you know, 10 years ago, I mean, everybody, everybody was just plum tickled. Those are now the, what, 180s, 190s, 200s. Uh, the deer are being, uh, they're being, they're le- people are leaving them alone to where they can grow longer, and the genetics are good. They're just not dying as soon now. Right. So, so they're growing yeah. bigger. Uh, w- you, you had, um, uh, what I'm trying to say is the genetics... The genetics have always been they haven't good. really changed. Uh, the yeah. overall age of the herd. It's getting better. Yeah. Um, I would like to see a study on that. Yeah. So there's not just pockets of monsters mm-hmm. here and there, you know, and you got to try to get close to them. Right. The mentality's kind of changed to where everybody's, um, on the average, letting them go just a little longer, maybe one more year, you know. Yep. So there's there's more bigger deer around. Not that there wouldn't have been previously, right. but that they're letting... Uh, they're being let go to where they can reach better potential. I think- oh, absolutely. I, I, and part of that is those guys that I was just talking about, the ones that are leasing ground, and, and you know, like it or not, the guys that are leasing grounds are stewards generally of of the ground that they're leasing. Mm-hmm. And so they're the ones that are putting the food plots in before anybody else were. Yeah. They're the ones that were passing deer before anybody else was. Mm-hmm. And we're all reaping benefits from the guys that are coming in and buying a 40-acre timber. They're not going to farm it. They're not going to clear it. Mm-hmm. They're not going to clear cut it. They bought it to hunt. Yeah. So they're going to let those deer grow. They're going to beat the food plots out there. They're going to do what they need to do to be stewards of the property, which benefits all of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, not, not all of them, but the majority of them, uh, we're we're reaping benefits from that. Yep, no question. Yeah, yep. and I think it's what you're talking about because a lot of guys, 
get focused on the genetics aspect of it. And like we talked about on the calling podcast that we mm-hmm. talked about, you can have you're gonna have very little effect on the actual genetics of the herd because and I heard this put a different way <clears throat> in the QDMA course. Um, a deer gets fifty percent of its DNA from the doe and fifty percent of its DNA from the buck. So you can look out across the field, and we're talking about calling, okay? Taking about taking out the inferior genetics to affect the the next year's crop of deer. So you look out across the field, and you've got two hundred and fifty inch five year old deer, and two hundred eighty inch five year old deer, and two hundred thirty inch five year old deer. Well, you can look at those hundred thirty inch five year old deer and say, "There's the inferior genetics in those bucks." Okay, that's only half the equation. Now you have six does in the field. Which one of those have the inferior buck genetics that you're going to call to improve the genetics for the next year? You know, does that make sense? Yep. See what I'm saying? Yep. So that's... I'm just glad there wasn't anybody calling me when I was... (laughs) Oh, man. They wouldn't have let me go past a year and a half. I've been done. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And dropped me like a bad habit. One of my spikes was bent straight. (laughs) (laughs) So the genetics, I think, has very little to do with it. Like you're saying, it's always been there. The biggest two things you can do for growing bigger deer, advance them to the next age class mm-hmm. and provide better habitat and nutrition for them. Yeah. The food plots and the cover and all that good stuff. Yeah. With the first biggest, I mean, biggest thing you can do being advance them to the next age class. Yeah. And I think we're probably seeing more of that with yeah. the culture changing within deer hunting. And it's definitely a good thing. Like whether you're doing it or not, even the guy that's over here shooting every two and a half year old Bucky sees is probably still seeing more big deer because of what everybody else around him is doing. Yeah. But he's only killing two. Right. Exactly. Um, yep. So, you know, I think everybody else that that's helping advance that age class, uh, that's probably a big reason why we're seeing it. Cause even if you're not doing food plots, um, if you're not doing any kind of habitat improvements, we have enough generally in our area, nutrition, food, browse, mm-hmm. um, that they're going to be able to overcome your lack of, or yeah. your neighbors have food plots, or your neighbors' neighbors have food plots. So somewhere in close proximity where you're hunting, around here is going to have something for that aspect of it. So mm-hmm. if if you're doing nothing else but passing the two and a half and three and a half year old deer, you're helping get us to where we're starting to see more and more big deer. Like you're talking about, it used to be the one sixty is now are the one eighty. Yeah. Used to be the one eighties now are the two hundreds. Yeah. And I, like I said, it would be really interesting if they have a study on that. I don't know if they would have for our area specifically. Or maybe even a nationwide uh, study, if the the average age of a buck um, at either harvest or just out there, you know, in the wild now, it's still living, has gotten older. Yeah. So whether yeah. it's gone from like, okay, two, like I don't know, fifteen years ago, the average buck on the hoof was two years old. Well, now they're three point one years old or yeah. two point seven years old or whatever. Yeah. It'd it be interesting increasing? to see. Yeah. Are we letting them go longer? And anecdotally, I think it probably is. Yeah. You know, just yeah, based on what we've you seen. Get the, unless you get the blue tongue come in there and wipe yeah. out a lot of older deer. Changes that's, everything. That's going to change the dynamics. Yeah. But I think even if that happens, the recovery time is faster because of your guys mm-hmm. like us that are going to pass those yep. yeah. just to see what happens. Yeah. And there's more guys like us now. I don't know if that's because the hunter's age is getting older. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's a good a yeah. good dynamic or bad, you know. <laughs> yeah. The younger yeah. guys aren't going to do that, and they shouldn't. Right. Uh, but us older guys are, so is that happening because there's more older guys? And I think even the younger guys are wanting to shoot 
more so want to shoot bigger deer with the mm -hmm. social media and the internet they're seeing everybody else shoot these big deer so that's what they want to do so they're starting at an earlier age this process of passing the smaller deer um, and i'm glad you said that about the blue tongue ehd or whatever and i want to do another podcast on all that because i got a lot of really good information i want to go over on that um it definitely like if you get hit real hard from it um so we had two, I think it was 2007 to 2012. They were both 100-year events uh, within five years, which is why we had all that wipeout that we're just now kind of getting back from. Um, in the South, they have pretty great, I mean, they'll have EHD outbreaks pretty much every year. But a deer can live through EHD, and there's actually some immunity built up to it. So if it makes it through one season of it, they're more likely to make it through the next year of it. And down South, where it's more dry, uh, and they have more of those muddy areas that they're having to go get water from, where's, which is where that midge lives, and has that carry the disease. Um, they're more, they have more immunity to it. So it happens more often every year. Now up here, and they've actually decided that we can look at a rainfall in the summer and pretty much predict, and the farther north you go, the more you can predict it. You can pretty much predict how bad the EHD, HD, whatever it is, blue tongue, is going to be for that year based on how much rainfall we had in the summer. But... It generally happens every year around here, too. It's just maybe not as widespread. But as it happens, there is some immunity built up to it, and the deer can live through it and get stronger from it. So if we're passing those and the, the age class of the bucks is getting older, then we're more likely to see, you know, like a faster bounce back like what you're talking about. And then even those younger deer that are older now than the younger deer used to be are getting immunity to it. So maybe the next time it comes around when those deer are four and a half and five and a half, they won't be as susceptible to it. Um, I think the bigger thing, and I didn't really think about it a whole lot before, but is a CWD because that's a death sentence for a deer. Um, and the difference between like the EHD, uh, HD, which is just the hemorrhagical disease and the EHD is a form of that. And the blue tongue is a form of that. They're all just different viruses that the gnats carry. But like I said, the deer can get over that. The CWD, if the deer get that, it's a death sentence, which is why you can't take the certain matter. And that's the biggest thing that, uh, so transfer of live animals, like uh, deer farms and stuff, or studies and all that, moving them across state lines or around the state, and then like moving the high-risk parts of the deer is the two biggest things that spread that. But anyway, there's a whole lot of information on that I want to go over in a different podcast without getting too deep into it. But I just thought I'd talk about that since you brought that up. But um, I think the age class thing is probably has as much to do with what your, what your initial question was as mm -hmm. anything. Because yeah. we've definitely seen the seen that this year. Yeah. Um, if uh, if I was looking for a place, um, if I had a chance to get somewhere like here, uh, the locker around gun season, you know, and seeing what guys in that area were bringing in, you know, mm -hmm. and if there was a whole bunch of slobs, you know, they were bringing in there just big monster deer. Yeah, I'd be going to the bank real fast and just buying whatever I thought I could right there yep, close, yep. you know? You don't want to hang around too much, though, because you might catch a nickname. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. It can't happen. That's right. Yeah. Peeking around the pole. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The yeah. locker stalker. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's the one. But yeah. I, uh, but that is a good point. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if 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 you if that's what you're seeing, if you got a way to do that... Um, uh, out there at home, of course, years ago, 
at the store they used to have the contest you know mm-hmm. and i mean that's where we spent all the time we wanted to see what guys were dragging in you know yep and the polaroid pictures up there of what guys had <laughs> oh, yeah. you know? oh yeah oh, oh yeah. man yeah um uh, that's an incredibly fast way to take inventory because everybody in the community participated. Oh, sure. oh yeah, you yeah. Know. Yep. And you know, guys are guys that come around here that, that talk to me about purchasing ground or leasing ground. It's just like, hey, if you heard anything or if you hear anything, give me a holler. And yeah. and I do. Yeah. Um, I, I those guys, I I don't know that they're particular. Other than in their mind, they have this number they're looking for. It's either forty acres or mm-hmm. sixty acres or a hundred acres, and and I would assume that in their in their mind's eye, it's all brush or timber. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I never really asked, right? But it, it seems like that's kind of what the picture they get is. Their biggest uh, criteria is the size. Is a hundred acres? You know, a quarter mile off the main road. Yeah. You know, because because they're they're used to the the drive by hunters and stuff mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you know whatever ground they're hunting on because they're friends with the landowner or they've leased they all they all have to seem to patrol it because people know they're not there all the time mm-hmm. so they want off the main road that seems to be a big objective to to most guys from away from here is is inaccessible yeah right or you're talking about accessible yeah i think your access and based on the wind and all that their access is you know How no four wheelers yeah. no no pickup trucks no yeah. nothing like that right yeah uh, yeah i i want to have a place to park somewhere you know um but uh but how, how can i get in to that place uh, to a, a good spot where i'm wanting to hunt and they don't know i'm in there mm-hmm. you know gosh i don't want to walk across the middle of the field to hit the woods square in the middle you know uh and just everybody within 200 yards knows exactly (laughs) oh man and that's one of like the properties we go to one of the biggest things i think we see guys struggle with is this is their property and they can only access it from here yep whether they have to go all the way down and around to get to the back side of it hopefully they can get on their neighbor maybe they can't like one of the biggest common issues we see is limited access. And yep. it's so important because not just getting in, getting out, like we talked about. Yep. Uh, but I think limited access to them also means limited access to people that shouldn't be there. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so, true. So they're fighting not only, and maybe they put, uh, maybe they put a lot of thought into the wind and stuff, and maybe they don't. But I think they put a lot of thought into, I'm not going to be here, but six weeks a year mm-hmm. i don't want anybody else here so how can i keep everybody else out yeah and in that thought process it limits but like there's there's property here in this county there's 40 acres for sale but it borders a highway mm-hmm. talked to a guy he, he he said hey if you see some ground let me know so i did and his you know i said hey i don't know nothing about it here it is pretty close to the highway first comment back was yeah, it's, it's too close to the highway. You know, one side of that 40 borders a highway. Not interested at all. Didn't care about the property. Didn't care about the deer. Didn't care about the creeks or the timber mm-hmm. or anything else. It was just too close to the highway. He's in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. He's not going to be here six weeks a year. Yeah. Right. He wants something he can put a gate up on <clears throat> yeah. and nobody have access. That means yeah. more to him right. than anything else. There could be a 200-inch deer walking around that woods 
with lots of grandkids and he don't <laughs> care. Right. It's yeah. on the highway. Yeah. And that's uh shoot one of the I mean, if you're an all around outdoorsman and you like hunting and hunting deer and turkeys and ducks and geese and rabbits and quail and you like fishing in the river, one of the best pieces of property around that just sold last year, right on the highway. Uh, I would love to have that piece of property for hunting. Oh, buddy of mine's father-in-law bought it. Um, but like you said, a lot of guys would turn their nose up at it just because it's right by the highway. And on all honesty, I would rather have something right by the main highway as opposed to right by the side road because not too many guys driving around on the highway shooting them off of there as they are driving around on, you know, 1200 North, 1300, 1350. Not that anything would ever happen up in that area of the world, but somewhere up in there, you know, in that five-mile stretch, if <laughs> the guys are a lot more apt to shoot deer off the road up there, down south of here too, same thing on the side roads as there are the highway. So if if the road that bordered my property was the highway, I would be a lot more apt to buy that piece than I would the side roads. Now that said, I'm like you. I want to be able to get to it. And I'm not six hours away from it either. So, you know, that's a thing too. Like what you're talking about with those guys. But Yeah, if I uh, if I can't get into a piece sneaky at all, man, if everything in that piece or most things in that piece know that I'm coming in there after them, uh, man, to me, there's no use. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm, I'm defeated before I ever get to the edge of the woods. Everything else in there could be perfect if you can't get to it. Yep. doesn't matter. My, my best spot, what I think is my best spot uh, on the whole farm, I cannot get to it. I cannot figure out how to get to it. I can't hunt it. Mm-hmm. I just I ain't figured out how yet. Just the and way it's... it lays, the wind swirls bad down there. I mean, they're down there all the time, you mm-hmm. know, fantastic habitat. you got to have there. those places. That's right, and, and you got that's right. you got to have those places to uh, keep the deer on you to during boil the daylight. Up what yeah. you're looking for, yeah. If yeah. you have, if you don't have any of those sanctuaries, yep, you're you don't have 200 inch deer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's that simple. It's yeah. kind of like what you're talking about. If you can't get down there, your neighbors can't get to it well either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. And I mean, looking back, that one I killed this year, I think that's where he spent a whole lot of his time, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm just hitting the edges where I think I can sneak in and out, very low pressure, you know. Um, I'd love to be able to get back in there closer for just a couple of days a year, you know, right? When just those perfect. perfect days. Of course, I talked about how that went for me. This year. <laughs> yeah, um, just d- catastrophic. <laughs> but anyway, you know, there's a guy up just a little bit north of here. He's got, I don't know how many acres. And he doesn't allow no hunting. You got to have those places. Yep. Mm-hmm. You, you, you know, guys cuss him and carry on and care. Those are the places that those big boys go to. Yep. When they get one more year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they make a mistake. Yeah. And so you got to have those sanctuaries. Yeah. Uh, and for you in that situation, it's you know, it's it's better for you to not even try to go in there. Yep. If you can't do it without getting busted, because if you go in there and get busted, and you bust that deer out. Say you completely busted out that deer that you were hunting this year, yeah. you wouldn't have killed him. Yep. And it had just been because you were trying to get in there and, and kill him on a certain day because, by golly, this is the day I'm going to go get him. I'm going to go in here. Yeah. You know, and then you just blow everything up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've hurt yourself more than you helped yourself. So there's yeah. some restraint that goes into that, yeah. too. But if you can find a property where you can access, like I said, even two, just two and a half sides of it or three sides mm-hmm. of it well, that's a really 
good starting point for me. Yeah. And whether that's roads on two sides of it, or maybe there's only a road on one side of it, but you got a creek system where, like you said, you can yep. get about anywhere you need to on it yep. from the creek. Uh, I that's, love, love creeks. Those are I think creeks are overlooked for access. Yep. A lot of guys look at them as travel corridors for deer, which they can be, yep. and which they are, and they look at them for the crossings you're talking about, but they overlook yep. them for using them to get down and walk to. Yep. And gosh, if you put your stand in the right place, uh, you can get down in a creek and come up into the stand, pop up out of the creek, climb up into the stand, get down, go right back into the creek. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can be in and out of there. Oh, yeah. And they'll never know. Get, get you an old section ladder or something, you know, and, and crawl up a steep part of the bank. And yeah. And your stand's right there, too. I mean, it... Yep. You can't hardly beat it, yep. you know. And uh, the creek will give you natural travel paths on each side of it. And then, of course, looking for your, your shallow spots where you can cross it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it gives you great, great pinch points, you know, all the way. You might have to get you some hip boots to keep from getting wet, you know. Right. Um, leave them down there, uh, you know. If, yeah. If you're worried about them, leave, take them off right before you crawl out of the creek. Um, take a chainsaw and clear out the the... Oh, the debris and the deadfalls and everything that's in the creek so you can sneak through it. You yeah, know? That, that before opening day? Normally, it works best if you do that a <laughs> okay, few well, days ahead. I'll just check <laughs> yeah. and see if you want to do that the morning before. Or? Uh, we tried to do it before the 25th of September. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, so it works best if you do it right now for the next year. You might, <laughs> yes, you right, might right. need a little touch-up work in August. <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah. That's a rough day. You're going to have ticks everywhere. Yep, yep. Chiggers, you know. Turkey mites. But yep. Yeah, um, I would not recommend doing that, say, in mid-October. That right. would be not good. Yeah. Your neighbor will love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know. Yep, yep. But, so those are the uh, kind of the biggest things. I don't know, we miss anything on that that you'd be looking for on a property? Um, talking uh, what you hit on, uh, smaller, uh, if you want to try to run, in my opinion, you got to have a whole lot of acreage if you really – think you're going to keep one on you for the majority of the time mm-hmm. but these smaller pieces uh like you said t-bone i think his was 27 acres starting yeah, we started out you whatever you got look all the way around it uh within at least a half mile i'd say figure out what they got available to them you got to have something make something on your place that's better than all that other stuff that they need you know better cover than what they got all around better food than what they got all mm-hmm. around you got to have something on you to make them want to stay right there. Um, something different, but that complements what you got all around you. I yeah. mean, you got to, or else that it, it's going to look just like everything else. Yeah. You but, know. but you have the ability to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. With the topos and, and all, all the maps out there and all the ways you can get around, you absolutely have the ability to, to, to offer them something they don't have. Yep. Mm-hmm. And Whether think, it's 10 acres, yeah, 20 acres, 25 30 40 whatever it is yep i would rather have that 27 acres in a really good spot as opposed to 100 where there aren't any deer yeah you know what i mean and then and like what you're talking about i mean you it takes thousands of acres if you want to really hold deer on you all the time all year all day and night thousands of acres yeah uh you just can't do it yeah um i just learned this year how much they travel that one that one buck that I mean he'd he'd make a four mile yeah. pass. Yep. Fairly often. Yep. You know, incredible. I did not realize that they would travel that far regularly. Yep. And I got some notes on that too that we'll go over in some podcast another time about their travel and stuff. Yep. But 
Like I think the uh, buck averages like two excursions a year. Excursion being miles long. Yeah. Like from two to twenty miles. Yeah. And come back into their home range, but their home range is big enough. Um, but that's why I talk a lot about managing deer for having them on your property in the daytime during the hunting season. And yep. now that's not to say forget everything in the summer all the time, but if you've, especially if you've got that smaller piece of property, if you can give them a place they want to be when you can shoot them yes. and let them go to your neighbors at nighttime, do that, mm-hmm. you know, uh, whatever's missing from that area. Um, if you can get them on you during the daytime in October, November, that's when you want them there. Yeah. Uh, because you can't be, I mean, you can be a habitat manager all year long. Okay. You can go do timber stand improvement. You can put in switchgrass. You can put in food plots, whatever. You can be a habitat manager 24, seven, 365. You can only be a deer manager, October, November, December, and part of January. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you cannot affect the deer herd because the biggest way you affect the deer herd is with your trigger finger. Like we talked about, advancing bucks to the next age class, mm-hmm. shooting does out of the herd. The only time you can be a deer manager, which is what we want to be, because we want to grow bigger deer, is during the hunting season. Yeah. So if you can manage your property for the hunting season, then you can be a more effective deer manager mm-hmm. as well, and then you're going to start to see more benefits from your in your overall herd, in my opinion. I yeah, mean, there's a lot of... That's a really good way to put it. I yeah. Mean, that, that's, that's a real good analogy right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know... That's not to say forget, like I said, not to say forget all about, if you're trying to grow a big, if you're trying to grow your numbers and you don't have any fawning cover around where you need to have does dropping fawns on your property in the summertime and that's something you got to give up to increase your numbers, then by all means you got to go in there and do that. I mean, if everything around you is just big open timber and the does have nowhere to drop fawns, so they're dropping them out in the big open timber right next to this tree that's down where every predator in the woods knows that that's where there's going to be a fawn, then by all means go in there and put some cover in for them for the summertime. But mm-hmm. like I said, if you want to be a deer manager, manage your property for the hunting season. Yeah. But, and that's, you know, especially on a small property, mm-hmm. I, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but that's, uh, I think there's some really good stuff in there about what we'd be looking for on a property. Um, yeah. And, and whatever you can do for hunting season, whether it's having the best cover, uh, if we're talking small. Yeah. You know, yeah. If you can't have the best cover or you can't have the best food, whatever you can do with what you got, Figure, do yeah. it just as hard as you can. That's right. And try to make it as good as you possibly can. Because you can't do it all, yep. you know, on that, especially on that small piece. So, yep. like you said, and, yeah, figuring out what you can do and what is needed in that area are two big things that are really going to help you, I think. And we'll talk more about that in some episodes coming up because we're really close to getting into starting the habitat managing part of it. Um stuff for next fall and there's already some stuff you can do which is like what i talked about last week well i wanted to talk about a little bit um i went ahead and frost seeded one of our clover plots the other day and hopefully that gully washer we got i didn't realize it was going to rain three inches i thought you knew that i would have said something but i thought you knew you'd well, looked at the forecast before i knew it was going to rain i didn't realize it was going to rain that much oh yeah it's like you're getting like two inches well i think where it's at uh maybe the middle part of it probably wash some of it out i think on the ends on the it's a barbell shaped plot is what it is. Yeah, does does the does the uh, south plot wash into that middle, or does it kind of stay there? No, I think the middle washes in like this. So from you should, the middle. So the the south and the north should be okay. Yeah, I think so. Did you get the uh, leaves out of there? Yeah, I went ahead and raked all the leaves out because it's in the middle. It's actually on a logging trail, and it's it's opened up on two sides of it. So like I said, it's kind of like a barbell shape, and there's just 
the logging trail that connects them in the middle. Um, went ahead and raked all the leaves out because um, there was a lot of them in there. <laughs> so I think just throwing that seed down, some of it's going to get down in the rain. Mm-hmm. A lot of it, I think, probably would have just got wet on the leaves and tried to germinate and died. Mm-hmm. So I got the leaves out of there. I think that's a big thing if you're in the timber um, to do, probably a good idea to do. Um, got the leaves out of there, went ahead and frost seeded all that. So uh, got that plot taken care of. I got one other one I think I need to do. I'm thinking right. Uh, put some clover down on. But you were talking about uh, you're going to try to do some of that tomorrow as well. Yes, I, I got to get that done tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a real good opportunity right now. Um, it's supposed to be like uh, 20s, you know, 20 to 25 in the evenings uh, or at night up to mm-hmm. like 40 in the day. Yep. Rain Tuesday. Yep. Yeah, so let's get maybe in uh, 50 Sunday and then yep. start mm-hmm. falling off a little bit. Rain Tuesday, Wednesday maybe. So yep. drive that seed in the ground. Yep. yep. And they're not talking, I don't know, six or eight tenths, I think. No, not, 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 not like, not like what we just away. had. Yeah. Yeah. There's a car flooded out on baseline I saw uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. when I was coming down here. I thought I saw a reflector and I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> yeah. My fishing pole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but I, I pointed the lights at them and looked through the binoculars and they weren't sitting up in the seat. So I <laughs> yeah. assumed that they were gone. I yep. Their bumper yep. was blowed off. You could tell they hit it hard. <laughs> I feel bad for them. I hope yep. they're not listening. I ain't making fun of them. <laughs> right. Uh, but the, what you're talking about with the weather looking good, that's important because when we talk about frost seeding, if you guys don't know, it's putting the seed out there on the ground and then letting that freezing and thawing do the work for you, work mm-hmm. that seed down in where it needs to be. So that what you're talking about where it's going to get 25 in the, at night mm-hmm. and then up to the 40s in the daytime. Yeah. It's going to be, I think it's going to be really good yeah. for that process right there. Yep. And it doesn't have to thaw all the way down because you don't want that clover seed real deep anyway. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, the neighbor guy, he always has just said you need it to be touching the soil and, yep. and, and clover will take off. Absolutely. And I got I got enough clover out there. I don't want to work the plot under. Mm-hmm. I'd rather go in there and try to frost seed on these thinner areas. You know, mm-hmm. I got more clover than I want to work under. Uh, but I do want to make it better. Yep. Uh, this is this has always been uh, the correct option. I feel like yeah. uh, for that situation. Yep. Uh, but yeah, I'd love it if it should, if it should really take off. I'm also I got the awfulest urge. I want to set the place on fire. Yeah. Um, I want to burn. I want to burn stuff bad. I've never <laughs> yeah. done it. I've been involved in it a little bit. Of course, we're all uh, firemen here. You know. <laughs> right. Man, it makes it sound. It makes me sound like a pyro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But. Um, gosh i think there's a lot of benefits to burning um there's very few drawbacks it you can't uh everything that i've ever studied on it you really can't hurt much um by burning uh i'm wanting to get rid of uh oh like the out in the crp there's a whole bunch of viney stuff out there in places you know Mm -hmm. um i've seen in some that i've helped guys burn it gets rid of that stuff. It gets hot enough that it gets rid of that stuff and lets that uh, uh, the nicer grass come mm-hmm. back up better out there. Um, and then in the woods, uh, I'd like to clear out some of these areas uh, in the main part of the woods where there's more saplings, you know, growing mm-hmm. up um, to try to help establish better uh uh big mature timber there and you know, get rid of those saplings out of it. Right. Uh, but anyway, yeah, everything uh and there's not been a fire on that ground in i don't know how long right uh mainly i just i want to do it i want to try it right you know um i want to talk about that for a second but first like uh with the frosting like what you're talking about um in my opinion the biggest 
time to do that, or the biggest benefit you can have is if you already have that stand, like what you're talking about. And this yeah. is for switchgrass too. Um, it's a really good time to be doing that. Um, if you already have a stand where you don't want to go in and work it all up and ruin it, yeah. Um, if you just started it maybe in the last year, uh, we got some guys that we just put clover in for last year that we're doing this now. It's a really good time. A really good reason to frost seed is to go in and, and either get rid of those thin spots and thicken mm-hmm. them up or just thicken the whole plot up in general yeah. without having to kill off everything or disc under everything you've already got established. And then, like I said, the switchgrass is the same way. Yeah. I um, mean, even if you're – I don't necessarily like frost seeding clover to establish a new clover plot. Yeah. But frost seeding switchgrass to establish a new switchgrass plot I think mm-hmm. is really good because yeah. it will actually not germinate until the soil is like – 60 degrees almost anyway yeah so you can actually frost seed it then you can go in there and spray herbicide over the top of it before the soil gets to the temperature it needs to be mm-hmm. and you can kill the weeds and the grass out of it like you can yeah. spray glyphosate on it you're not going to kill the switchgrass because it hasn't germinated yet yeah. um, and then you can even go ahead and drill more into it if you want after that but anyway that's kind of i think a couple of benefits to to the uh frost seeding but what you're talking about with the burning there um really the Three best things you can do, and the next time I'm on a podcast by myself, I'm probably going to talk about this because I think there's a lot I can talk about, um, but chemicals, fire, and a disc. Um, if you can get a heavy disc or uh, a, st- a stump disc, as they may call it in some parts of the world. Uh, hydraulic disc. <laughs> hydraulic disc. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. We call them stump disc. Yeah. Well, anyway. Oklahoma, apparently, it's a hydraulic disc. It's a whole, yeah. That sounds fancy. <laughs> it does. It does. That's a whole different story for another time. <laughs> but anyway, uh, those three things are the biggest thing you can do. Because uh, what you're looking for, uh, now if you're looking for, like your switchgrass, uh, you're doing that for structure or cover. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're looking for uh, browse, you know, aspects, cover and food for the deer, um, if you can get in those, get that property or that ground into the early successional stage, uh, the early seral stage, um, which is new growth that's happened after disturbance, mm-hmm. fire, chemical, or yeah. disc. Yeah. You can go in there and get that. And it's not necessarily the height of what's there. So you can have something that's in the fourth seral stage, which is mature timber, um, but say it's a clear cut. So now you have like two and three year old trees mm-hmm. that are like what, you know, six foot, four foot tall trees. Yeah. But that's still on the fourth successional stage. So it might look pretty good once you look out across it, but it's not uh, the height of it. It's what actually makes it up. So what you're looking for is, you know, like in that first seral stage, is going to be dominated by annual grasses, weeds, forbs, and stuff like that. And you can actually get up upwards of 4,000 tons per acre of forage for deer, mm-hmm. which is going to be close to what some of your food plots are going to be <clears throat> yeah. just by going in there and either disking it, spraying everything and killing it, or burning it because uh, what that early successional stage is is everything that's in that seed bank coming mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So all that old that old seed that's there, like an old field you'll see, or like I was talking about earlier with a fallow ag field where everything's just grown up in it, where it's been disturbed, and then you've got all this new natural growth. Mm-hmm. Uh, fire is a great way yeah. to do that, and that's what you're looking for. Because like I said, um, if like even if you have a stand of oaks um, out in an open timber. You're still not looking at even close to 4,000 tons an acre mm-hmm. of forage. Mm-hmm. So you can actually create a food plot without ever having to plant anything mm-hmm. just by burning it. Yeah. And then bring it on that, you know, that first, those early successional stages of growth. Yeah. All that stuff that's under the leaves. Yep. All that 
stuff that's already in the seed bank mm-hmm. that comes up. And that's the stuff you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the fire is a really good way to do that. And like I said, you can do the same thing, uh, go in and spray everything with herbicide, mm-hmm. put a whole bunch of glyphosate in a mix, go out there and just burn it off with that, Yeah, kill it off, you'll have the same effect. Mm-hmm. Same way if you go out, you spray it, and then you run a disc across it, you're going to bring all those seeds up from that seed mm-hmm. bank, existing seed bank, and then you're going to have uh, the forbs and the annual grasses and the weeds. And if you're looking for forage, you don't really want the grasses, um, so if you have fescue, um, <laughs> any kind of other, whether it's native or non-native grass coming in, uh, if you got a big stand of that where you're not letting anything else underneath of it grow up, mm-hmm. you're not going to see the deer eating that because deer don't eat yeah. grass. Yeah, you know what I mean. So if yeah. you and a lot of guys will go out there and mow because it looks pretty. Mm-hmm. They'll mow it twice a year, once a year, whatever it was, and keep up with it. Mm-hmm. So they've got by the fall they have a foot tall field of just grass yeah there's nothing out there for the deer no whereas if you'd go out there and burn all that grass off either literally with fire or with chemical or disc it under boy then you've created a really good natural food plot Mm -hmm. so i think you know what you're talking about you're probably on the right track there yeah you know as far as establishing that and again it depends on what your goals are yeah um Um, me and blake uh we burned um I think I was there with him. Anyway, he burned 30 acres uh, a few years ago. Um, and it was just fescue. Uh, just I mean, just fescue. Well-established fescue. He mm-hmm. burned that off. Doggone, he's got a whole bunch of native grass and stuff coming up out there now, you know. Mm-hmm. He'd been laying there for who knows how long, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, yep. Man, it just turned into a dynamite cover patch. They were in the fescue. They were laying out there in the secluded spots where you couldn't see them. Right. Man, after he burned that and all that stuff came back, I yep. think it's Indian grass or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, a whole bunch of that came back. Man, it's just loaded with deer, you know. Yep. And of course, I had all of them laying out there this year, you mm-hmm. know, in that CRP. Um, and that CRP is going to have a, a decent mix of other stuff in it, too. Yeah, there's some clover out there in spots, not mm-hmm. much. Um, ah, there's so much of that viney crap, I don't even yeah. know what it is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Uh, if I could, if I could get that CRP looking more like what he's got, you know, oh man, mm-hmm. um, I think it'd be dynamite. And the the reason a lot of guys don't like that is because it doesn't look pretty at all. No. Nah. And we tried to talk a guy into it before, and he just he wanted it to look pretty. And if you want it to look pretty, it's not necessarily going to be very beneficial for the deer eating it because nah. the, the deer don't care what it looks like. They're looking for that uh, diversity of mm-hmm. uh, food source. Yeah, well, to put it a different way, brambles, blackberries, uh, ragweed, that kind of stuff. You know, uh, that that's all stuff that they're going to feed on. That's going to provide tonnage, thousands of tons per acre, as opposed to a couple hundred tons an acre. You know, in a in a grass field where they're not going to eat much of that anyway. Will a deer eat grass? Yeah, I mean, yeah. But if you see deer out there feeding in a grass field regularly, that's a pretty unhealthy situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be looking at something to do different Good to give them more food. food plot. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you need to do something different. But, yeah. but anyway, that kind of covers uh, the switchgrass. We talked about the clover and then the property stuff. So unless you guys got anything else, I think that's, that's pretty much do it for tonight. All right. Thanks, guys, uh, for listening. Again, as always, if you want to support us, ridgehunteroutdoors.com. Like I said last week, as soon as we get the store up and running, we're going to start doing video podcasts. So you won't have to just listen to us. You can see our... You can see what the nader looks like. (laughs) That's right. put a deer killer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So we'll start doing that. Um, And like I said, 
leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, give us a subscribe on YouTube. That All that stuff really helps us out too. And we're working on some more partnerships, like I mentioned last week. And as soon as we get away for you guys to support us through that, I'll let you know, and we'll start that up too. So, again, thanks for listening, guys, and we'll catch you again next week.